Come with me, dear listener, and share one of life's little pleasures. I'm just heading up through the garden, past the Wiggly Pond. Oh, I'm just frightened lots of birds away from the feeder. Now I'm going walking through the Wiggly Meadow, which is just needs trimming because all the knapweed has gone over. And I should strim the, this now and let all the seeds lie on the floor and then collect it up. Just passing by the Wiggly Beehive, all quiet today. And here I go, out into my little orchard where I've planted filberts, damsons, cherry tree, honeysuckle and where the ducks and chickens live. And I'm going to take you into the chicken house. First of all, I'll just let the ducks out. I put them a little pond in here, even though they've got access to the bigger pond, just so they can splash about. Now we're going to go into my chicken. So we've got two light Sussex and three Heinz variety. But here's the moment of pleasure. So here they all come. Now they come out from here and they've got their layers mashed with bokashi and their water and their space. But they go straight out into the duck house and go for their ration of mixed corn. But I'm going inside the shed to see if chuk 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 chicken has laid a little egg for me. And here we have a perfectly formed brown egg which I am going to go and boil for my breakfast. Lovely! Dear listener, if you are not interested in cows and beef and genetics and breeding switch off now because this is cowcast every now and again i like to follow farmer phil up to see his breeding program and understand his cattle and so we're in the yard now deep litter looks like hay actually actually what it is is it a number of broken bales and bits and bobs that have been left over from the harvest so it's ended up being put in here just so as it's not wasted. Very nice. I'd sleep in here. <laughs> <laughs> if I was desperate. <laughs> OK, so the thing is, we've had the audition for the cows to go on the telly. It was a cow behaviour programme with uh, Jimmy from Jimmy's Farm. And our cows failed the audition, Phil. Did they not behave? Well, I think actually probably... Having talked to the producer, it was more likely that our farm, and notably our farm buildings, failed the audition, that we weren't quite picturesque enough for TV consumption, but our cows did everything that we asked of them. They were most impressive. One pooped down my leg, actually. Well, that probably I didn't ask it to. No. But um, they were looking at the way that cows behave, bearing in mind they're domesticated, and it's on the telly sometime later this year, and they're going to stay with the farm in Devon for two weeks. Exactly, and the idea is that what they're investigating is to see what, if any, traits that may have originated in the wild 
are still to be seen in a domesticated animal. So they're going to do cattle, pigs, sheep and pet chickens, I think, was another one. Looking at cow pats, you can see this one's, like, broken down. Yeah. And here's a fresh one. Yeah. That is a big poop, isn't it? That yeah, is a about... Big, it's a big animal. What would that be, a foot across? Yeah. They probably eat 20 kilos a day of assorted hay and grass and whatever. You know, there's a lot of material goes through a cow. And is a cow poop particularly good for the land? Because I can see patches over the field of green growing grass. That's mostly where they've urinated. The urine contains more fertiliser for the grass than the cow muck does. Because a cow is a ruminant, they actually get quite a high percentage of the nutrients out of their food compared to a horse or an elephant who are not ruminants. They get a low percentage of the nutrients out of their food. A cow does rather better. But cow muck contains plant food. It's just, it's a, it's a little bit like if you have a compost heap with your grass clippings on, a cow pat needs a bit of, bit of processing before it's actually good for the grass. And the one that you've seen there that's broken down, dried out, and the flies have picked over it and so on, that is now much better fertiliser than the fresh one. Now, if I was going to compare this cow pat to a horse poop, I would say there's loads less straw in the cow pat. That's right, and that's because the cow has broken it all down much better than the horse can. Because the cow does several things that a horse doesn't. One, it's got multiple stomachs, so the food spends a long time in the cow and is subjected to a much harsher dose of bacteria breaking it down and the cow being a ruminant also chews the cud so the difficult things to break down the straw the cellulose walls of the plant cells it coughs them back up and gives them another chewing and that's really why you know any rose grower will tell you that they want horse muck on the roses the reason is that there's more goodness in it for the roses now then for those of you who are listening who can hear the wind and for michael who's editing this i would like you both to know i have the what's it called cover womble the wombly thing on top of the recording device and i'm now going to find farmer phil a bit of shelter before the rain comes even more and falls on the plain. Aren't oak leaves absolutely glorious in shape? I think most leaves are pretty good in shape, but yes, it's very traditional, isn't it? Yeah. So, your cattle, how did it all start and why have we got a motley bunch? Because you were quite embarrassed when the telly came, weren't you? That they weren't all the same colour. Well... Well, I like them because they're a motley bunch. Originally... But I do think brown and cream ones would be best, called Hereford. The reason that it is as it is is because of events that have happened over the last sort of 20, 30, 40 years in cattle breeding. Now, beef that you and I eat comes via two sources, really. One is the dairy calves so every dairy cow has a calf a year so that she can keep giving milk now those calves get fattened potentially for beef and then you have the suckler herds like ours which are breeding calves just for beef well explain suckler again well that's where the cow has a calf and rears the calf 
herself for six months so that her purpose is not to be milked every day it is to produce a beef calf so obviously these sorts are going to have bigger bottoms and bigger muscles to provide beef and the dairy cows are going to have much more emphasis on have they got enormous bosoms well exactly the reasons for it being as it is today are as a result I believe of the dairy industry because 40 years ago the dairy industry in this country was served by the British Frisian cow the big black and white cattle yeah, it's not British, is it? Well, British Friesian French. is a British version of a Dutch cow. Ah. Essentially, they've been bred for milk production and size, and they are a nice, healthy, strong cow. And they provided the bulk of the milk, along with a, a number of lesser breeds, such as Ayrshire's, Guernsey's and Jersey's, pr- providing the specialist. Gold top? Gold top, exactly. So much richer in cream. Now, and time, is this because of fashion? So we want less fattening milk, so we go no, for more watery stuff? No, it's nothing to do with fashion. It's to do with the fact that in Canada, starting from a similar starting point, so they got a black and white cow, but they had developed much quicker cattle whose raison d'etre, if you like, was converting food into milk. They didn't care what the cow looked like as long as it didn't impinge on her milk production. So they were looking at fertility udder confirmation, foot confirmation, milk yield and food conversion. So in my world, can she stand up? Has she got an enormous set of good udders? They weren't necessarily enormous, oh. but how they performed was that the but milk But surely yields, they have to hold the milk. Yeah, but size isn't everything, and that's quite an interesting <laughs> point, that you can have a very high-yielding cow that isn't enormous in that department. The, the important thing is that the udder has longevity because if you have a cow carrying around large quantity of milk and the udder sags over, over the years, <laughs> for want of a better... You run into problems with bacteria and cleanliness and all the rest of it. If the udder maintains a good shape, a good conformation, you get much less problems with bacteria getting into the teats and mastitis and you get a better performance in the milking parlour. Have you emailed Jordan to let her know this? No, I think Jordan <laughs> is probably past my advice, didn't she? But anyway, yeah, but the upshot... What I want to know is, did they, how did they breed these cows? Because did they choose the best ones and then keep their calves, or did they come up with some genetically amazing no, modification? What they did, it was just selection, so that instead of, in those dairy herds, instead of breeding beef calves they're breeding replacement dairy cattle. But that must have taken years. It does, but there are techniques that you can speed it up latterly, but essentially it's selection, and it has taken years. Ah, you mean um, artificial insemination? Artificial insemination is one way of speeding it up. You can cover a lot more cattle with a very good bull. You can use embryo transfer so that you can inseminate, so you have one cross that you particularly like, and by flushing the eggs and inseminating them, you can have 20 of the same cross in You mean the same like year. Dolly the sheep? You mean you're not cloning quite, them? No, not cloning. But you find a cow that you really like. If you've got a really good cow yeah. and a really good bull, right? so normally that would lead you to have one, one offspring every per year. year. But if you flush the eggs out of the cow, because she produces many more eggs than one, okay. inseminate them outside the cow, yeah. 
and then put those eggs into separate cows, doesn't matter what, the, what they are, just donor cows, yep. then you can have 20 calves of that cross in the same year. Ah, Hitler. If you like. Okay. But the result is it speeds up the breeding programme fairly obviously. Yeah. And they've also improved radically the techniques for deciding which animals are good. So the measurement of, of whether a bull is good, they've got all these criteria that it... Who the, has? The Canadians in that case. But okay. breeding in general has. Yeah. But the upshot of that was what is, what is called the Canadian Holstein cow. Now, Holstein blood in a beef animal appears to be a complete disaster because you end up with an animal that is not likely to put meat on. It doesn't bulk out like ours do. But, of course, the industry was supplying all our replacement heifers, our cows of the future. But we've got British Frisians and they've got... But we've, we've been losing the British Frisians steadily over the years because farmers have brought the Holsteins in because there's more profit in them, because they use their feed better and they produce more milk. So just to get this clear, they don't ship the cow over from Canada, they ship the eggs and the No, they've, shipped, they've shipped cattle over from Canada. Oh, right. yeah, there are imports of cattle, but it's so widespread that the, that was where it started, and now Holstein's... And Holstein is another uh, Dutch breed, is it? Well, it's Belgium? derived from a Dutch breed, but right. the Canadians, the North Americans, have taken it to a, an extent which from a beef point of view, has proved a major problem because historically, and this comes back to where we started, our first suckler cows were a Hereford cross Frisian cow. So that the dairy farmer would have used a Hereford bull, the bull calves would have been half Hereford and half Frisian, perfectly reasonable animal to fatten up for beef, and the heifer calves provided our heifer replacements. Now as that Frisian got replaced with Holstein, the cows became less and less used to us as beef cattle because their confirmation was so bad that we couldn't produce a decent calf. So, so we had to start looking elsewhere. Now, alongside that, we got the pressure from the market, in inverted commas, to produce leaner cuts of meat, bigger cuts of meat. Uh, whether that's right or wrong, you know, I think history will prove that that is going to decline as well. But the point was that they wanted animals with more shape and the Holstein was never going to give us that. It was going the wrong way for the beef job. Hang on a minute. So the dairy guy comes up with what he thinks is a brilliant calf, a uh, brilliant cow for his milking parlour. Yes. To get the milk, the dairy cow needs to give birth to produce the milk. Yes. You then take the calf from him, you buy it. The female calf. The female yep. calf, which is the heifer. Yep. It comes to our farm, Yep. you grow it on, and then you put a bull to it, yep. and then you start your herd. Yep. So you started off with a Hereford cross Frisian, which is fine, because yep. that's a good beef cow as well. And that's actually probably the perfect, I still think that that is the perfect cross for what we do. It's quite hardy, it feeds its calf well. You know, suckler herds are by definition usually less intensive than a dairy type scenario, and so a Hereford Frisian cross is a really nice combination of something that enjoys living off grass half the year, doesn't require feeding vast quantities of food during the winter time, rears a good calf if you put a decent bull on it. Yes, but darling, where are they? Because Herefords well, exactly are my point. cream faced with brown. Now, Hereford Frisian crosses are always black with a white face. Oh. But 
the point is that the reason that we haven't got any is that we can't have any because we've lost the Frisian. There are many, many fewer Frisian herds. I mean, there are fewer dairy herds, full stop. But now there are very few proper Frisian herds that haven't got Holstein in them. So the reason that our cows are all different colours is because we've been experimenting with the different possible sources of heifers. Now, what is interesting now is that the price of beef over the last 12 months has gone up radically. You know, they are extremely valuable things. Yeah. Now, not only does the dairy industry not supply heifers in quantity or quality for our purposes, but all the other sources of heifers, it is now extremely expensive to buy heifers because the breeders of them are saying, well, the cheapest thing is to put them into the food chain because they're so valuable that we'll fatten them and slaughter them rather than sell them as followers for the likes of me. So there is a shortage of them. But you can have your own calves. Well, you can, but then that leads to the problems that you have to manage your bulls fairly carefully because you've got to have... You obviously can't be in breeding, so you've got to know which is by what and breed accordingly. But you are right, because, and that is to some extent what we're doing, that because we believe that some of our experiments have been more successful than others, but essentially, as we get further away from the Hereford Frisian type, they seem less hardy. You know, they, they don't last as long. They get into more problems. They, they don't do as well when the weather's not very nice and so on. And so we're thinking that we're going to go back to the Angus or Hereford cross something else to try and achieve what we want. But because no dairy farmer is going to provide those, then we, the beef industry, have to be- breed our own. Now, that little black calf in front of us yeah. has got his piece of... Um, he's got his tuft <laughs> of grass, hasn't he? And he's not happy with it. He's, he's shaking it about... And I think he's rejected it, actually, as a piece of old grass. Well, it's, they're just about to be moved, these cattle, which is why they're standing here by the gate. Yeah, they're looking they've, like... They've just about had enough come out on. here. But he's a boy. Yeah. And am I not right in thinking that one of the things that is nicely swept under the carpets of our brilliant system of agriculture and market is the fact that the boy calves, when they're produced from the dairy cow are worthless and get knocked on the head. That's right. Well, if you're breeding... Isn't that shameful? Absolutely. But the point is that if you're breeding Holstein dairy cows, so you're using a Holstein bull on a Holstein cow, then you need very few bulls, however good or bad they are, to carry on your breeding for heifers. So that every bull calf that you produce, because they are so bad at being beef the shape of them is so bad they don't grow into something beefy then there is or was very little margin in fattening the bull calf and so they were put down at birth which i I, i'm not sure i could do it myself if i ran a a herd that i had to do that i don't think i could do it but isn't the point that if you specialize to that degree then that's a consequence so wouldn't it be better to have a breed that was more suitable for both things and then you wouldn't have to do it so it's your own fault that's a very difficult shout at the moment in europe if you said that to most dairy farmers they'd say we can't carry on because the price the price of milk is so marginal yeah that they've driven themselves into it well they haven't driven themselves they have been driven into a corner yeah that they can't extricate themselves from 
So they have gone for a more efficient cow because the price of milk needs to reflect what the market will bear. And as a consequence of this, they've specialised so that their animals are not diverse enough to go as beef and dairy. That's right. And now the poor folks have to put their calves down if they produce a male calf at birth. That's right. Now well, that must be really depressing. It is totally depressing for them. And I mean, what is worse is that it, that's bad enough, but essentially they're going broke. It's just a question of time, which is why you've seen in the news lately. And it, it's, I think it's going on in America as well. Yeah, it but, is. But certainly in Europe, the dairy industry have said, look, this just can't carry on. And really, you, you commented it's because of what the market will bear. In Britain, at any rate, the dairy industry has a history of a centralised buying group, what used to be called the Milk Marketing Board, yeah. which stabilised the price. Now, when that was disbanded, the effect was to have very few buyers of the milk. Yeah. And that has led to it being a buyer's market, essentially, and it has pushed the price of milk down. When the Milk Marketing Board was in existence, you didn't hear people complaining, you know, customers, people drinking milk out, out in the normal general public, complaining about the price of milk. What, do you know how much it is? No, I don't. No, normally. But the point is that it's the people making the margin who are, are pushing it down, so that the, the dairies, of which there are very few in Britain, who process it and distribute it to the supermarkets, they've got the market tied up. You know, I'm not particularly saying that either system is right or wrong, but if you don't give an industry a fair return, the industry will disappear, and that is what's happening to the dairy industry, and it will disappear. I mean, right in front of you, mm. you've got a purebred South Devon cow, which oh. is one of the... Now, listener, now this is a cow. <laughs> this is a proud, big, brown cow. This but... is the cow of play school. But 40 years ago, yep. that was a true dual-purpose breed, so nice. that they would have been milked and their calves would have been used to replace the milking herd and for beef. Now, dual-purpose breeds in that context have gone. You know, they used to milk shorthorns. All those things, that was exactly what you were talking about. So you've got a true type of cow that you could produce milk, you could produce beef, it utilised the grass... It was the proper job. And now, mostly because of the milk aspect of it, it can't exist because it just can't clear the margin. But just, I just can't see how, how this has been caused because presumably, prior to the dairy operation, which pasteurised and processed and bottled and distributed the milk, then the milk was raw. Um, oh, well, now, probably... now you're getting on to another favourite topic of mine because, <laughs> oh. of course, the requirement for pasteurisation and centralised dairies was the existence of tuberculosis. I see. And so that it is the pasteurisation process which ensures that tuberculosis cannot get from the dairy cows into humans. And so it was part of the cure for tuberculosis in humans was pasteurising milk. So looking at it from... A sort of overall perspective, this is exactly what's happening to our abattoir. So our local abattoir, they said the legislation needed to be X, Y and Z to ensure that BSE and any other problems of bacteria couldn't get from the farm to the consumer. Therefore, the little dairy or the little abattoir 
couldn't afford necessarily to do this, so was wiped out, and so now there are a few dairies and a few abattoirs, and now they control the market. The beef aspect of it is less that way. Because yeah, because there we're are at many, the beginning of it. Yeah, and also because there are very few abattoirs, they just charge a commission on the beef as it goes through them, whereas the dairies buy the milk. They buy the milk from the farmer. So they're taking the risk. So, Well, there's no great risk because everybody keeps buying the milk from the supermarkets. It goes through. Whereas abattoirs, there are still enough butchers and purveyors of meat who actually are the people who buy it to keep the market. But, you know, beef is a fantastic price at the moment. There would be no complaints from me about the beef market right now. What is it at? What, in terms of how much we get for it? Yeah. On the hook, it's probably £3 or more a kilo. What's on the hook? Dead. Oh. Um, so what you mean, all the bits chopped off that you yeah, don't so need? A side of beef is worth in excess of £3 a kilo. And what would I be paying for it in the supermarket? You would probably pay something around 4 or £4.5 a kilo for mince, right up to maybe 20 25 pounds a kilo maybe even 30 pounds a kilo for fillet steak and everything in between i see beef industry works very well it is just a minor hiccup in our case that we can't source our replacement cows from where we used to so we're going to have to come up with a different way of doing it but the beef industry and the the sheep industry are looking a lot better but you've got less cows now. Well, that's right, but that's because the cost of my replacement heifers has doubled. But that's OK, because your output will Well, it double. is, but in terms of cash flow, it's very difficult to just go out, you know, if you've got to pay six or £700 for a replacement heifer, it's quite a gamble. It doesn't take many of them to have spent an awful lot of money, and you've got to wait a long time before you get any return from her, because you've got to put her in calf... So that's nine or ten months before you get the calf. Then it's a further six or seven months before you can sell the calf. So you've got at least 18 months, really, before you've seen any return. And, as you say, it might have gone the other way by then. So it has to be a sort of quietly, quietly thing. But from our point of view, it's quite a good thing because it's meant that we've looked at different ways of doing it. And So what are you going to do? Well, what we have done last year, we kept some of our Angus Cross oh, M- MRI a bit of a heifer calves because the MRI is a cow that we... It is a, a French dual-purpose breed. So it's MRI? Meurs That's a scam. <laughs> yeah. I've had but one of those. But it's also a French breed of what's cow. It, what's it stand for? Meurs Rhine Issel. Meurs Rhine But essentially, they're a dairy cow, but they're closer along the lines of a Frisian, but they're not really ideal for suckler cows i mean we use them and they produce some good calves yeah but we think that if we use one of their offspring and then put a terminal sire on it we'd get a better result a terminal sire so that the the sire that produces the animal that's going to be eaten is a terminal sire so in our case we'd keep say an aberdeen angus cross mri heifer calf right then her first calf we'd probably use a hereford bull on because you want a small bull with a feisty calf as her first calf, so, oh, the, so, she's, you know, so she gets used to the idea yeah. and you don't have any problems. Yeah. And then second calf onwards, we probably use the Charolais on her to get a bigger carcass. Right. And the combination. So which which bull is that then? So you use which bull so in personally? Our case, penguin will be the sire of the heifer calf that we keep. Right. 
and then if, if it's an Angus calf we've got, then we haven't actually got a Hereford bull yet, but we're going to have to find a Hereford bull yippee, to use yippee. on her as a first cross. Right. Now, that then gives us the opportunity. We can also use the Hereford bull on some of the MRIs so yeah. that we can have some Hereford cross MRI heifers that we could then put the Angus on and so on. Although Who remembers... Who, I mean, this is like, you know, it's like Playboy, isn't it? So who <laughs> remembers who's had sex with who? Well, it's all documented so that we, we're duty-bound under the rules to write it down. But obviously, under these circumstances, it's quite important. And all our calves, if you look in his ear there, that calf there, yeah, he's got what's called a management tag, which is, among, apart from his ministry tags, he's got a tag that I've put in his ear that tells me what I need to know. Right. Now, that tag Here will, he comes. will tell me that his mother is number 22. Yes. And on the back of his ear, it will tell me that, in his case, his father is penguin. Right. So that, from a management point of view... I can see the breeding of each of my animals because it's written on the tag. Yeah, I see. It'll also tell me his date of birth. And so once you've done this, you know, how, how, what, what has been the depletion of your cattle and why? And, well, and what will it take you to get back to what you consider to be a, a good-sized herd? It'll have to be a combination of things because obviously for every animal that you keep back, then you forsake the opportunity to sell it fairly obviously yeah so it'll be a combination of keeping some of our own and buying some in so that 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 will be how we'll get back the reason for the depletion is natural wastage really that, well you know, you've had terrible we've, couple we've of years. had we've had one or two problems but the average age of our cows is quite old by comparison with other herds so that you will go through phases where that catches up with you I don't think that's a bad thing. It's just unfortunate that we've lost a number of cows in the last two or three years um, when heifers have been very expensive to replace them. But it actually has also shown me that our policy of giving an old cow a chance to sort herself out or to cure whatever reason it is that she hasn't got in calf has proved to be right because we've got a number of cows who have performed very well the last couple of three years who took a year off or were late getting in calf, we could have sent them down the road as being infertile, but they've performed well, which is much cheaper than buying a heifer and having the risk of a new animal. OK, so we're coming into the field and they're just approaching us all, aren't they? <laughs> Here's Abigail. OK, so which one's Abigail? Abigail is a black and white MRI. Yeah. She's always first to front. She was bottle-reared, hand-reared, apparently. Not by me, but that is why she is so tame and inquisitive. I see. And so when you come out to look at these animals, what are you looking for? Because every day you set off, or Kevin does, and has a look at them. Obviously, you're looking for any that are, <laughs> have got their legs up in the air. First requirement of looking at cattle out in the field is to establish that they're all there, yeah. fairly obviously. Now, it might be as mundane that they've just escaped. Yeah. You know, so they've been pushed through the fence. Or, but they or, never do that, do they? Well, they? hopefully not, but never say never, and they do. We unfortunately had the neighbour's cattle escape into our sunflowers yesterday, so never say never. Yeah, um, so, so were they hungry or...? Probably. I see. But ah. the, the first issue is to establish they're all here, so we count them. And then the next thing to do... Pretty much every day, you ought to try to look at every animal. And what I'm looking for, in the case of the cows mostly, 
is any signs of mastitis. Now, if they get mastitis in one quarter, the first thing that happens is that their calf will stop sucking that quarter so that the udder becomes lopsided. But the sooner you can treat mastitis, the more chance you have of saving the quarter. And is mastitis the same as in women? Very painful. Hot, yeah. sore. It is same, but it's not transmitted in the same way. In cattle, it's transmitted during the summer by flies. Oh. And so that... <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that's not an issue with, with most women. <laughs> Sorry about that, everyone. But um, that obviously, because in the summer there are plenty of flies, that's why we particularly look for it. And it has the capability of killing the cow, so that you do have to sort it out. Now this looks to be a bit of a problem, because you've got a really short cow, and sucking from her is an enormous calf, whose main problem seems to be to get low enough to get his Muzzle. I, I don't think he's having too much problem <laughs> looking at that. He seems to be doing a pretty efficient job. But anyway, so from the cow's point of view, mastitis would be the first thing that I'm looking for, and then anything else, but essentially mastitis. In terms of the calves, I'm looking for two things mostly, lameness yeah. and eyes. Now, calves get a disease called New Forest disease, yeah. which is a, it's a absolutely horrendous-looking disease which causes an ulcer on the eyeball which if you leave it go to its full extent the eyeball bursts and the calf is blind but it is very easily treated that if you find one you first see it as a white spot in the middle of the eyeball and then it gets bigger but with one dose of eye cream that will cure it but again it's a fly transmitted disease and needs treating fairly promptly. So Why are those calves licking that cow's bum where she's just had a wee? Because they're both bull calves and they're fairly naive and they're wanting to tell whether she's on in oestrus, on heat, or bulling, as we say. Oh. So that's it's all a bit they tell. Um, earthy, isn't it? Well, I'm afraid that's how <laughs> it is. OK. And then the reason I'm looking for lameness yep. is it's not so much of a problem when it's dry, but they get something that we call foul in the foot which is a bacterial infection between the two clays of their, their foot. Yep. And it causes the bottom of oh, the leg... Oh, athlete's foot. Very similar, but it's not the same bacteria. Yeah. And again, it's easily treated. One jab of long-acting antibiotic, but if allowed to go, causes absolute havoc. Now, most of these cattle look clean and tidy, and they obviously have got, you know, good muscle, there's no bones... But this one here, um, although she looks well kept, on her back is just, um, she, she's pooing down her tail. Yeah, if you ignore the fact that her back end is, is covered in Dirt. SH1T, yeah. the bony nature of her, that is the classic effect of having Holstein. And she would be half a mostly Holstein cow. But what about that mess? Because well, the that, flies and... Some of them are just like that. Oh. But the point is that the fact that you can see her shape, that she's quite bony, she's not carrying any fat, her back end, she's sort of essentially fairly boat-shaped. Yeah. That is yes. classic Hol- Holstein. And it wouldn't matter. The fact that she's her tail's all dirty and so on, she's eating plenty of grass, she's getting plenty of food. It is genetic that she looks like that rather than these other cows, which are well-covered. And that is the problem with the Holstein element that I can't get enough condition on them for them to, to do a job. And if you have a calf, you know, if you're trying to fatten a calf with that genetic input to produce beef, 
you're not going to get a lot of beef out of that. But you can just imagine somebody who's not sure, or myself included, walking through this field as a footpath and saying, oh, yes, that's a nice cow there, that's a well-kept cow, and, and that cow looks fine there, and that calf looks well. And that one there is completely neglected. <laughs> it needs immediately help from the RSPCA, and I'm going to report you. And this happens a lot, doesn't it, all it, over the country? It does happen from time to time. One of the things that's happened there is that she's got her tail dirty, and her tail is now heavy, because <laughs> it's all covered in the proverbial, so it's too much effort to lift it up. But so one will the, you do anything about well, that? Well, yeah, one of the things we do with that is that... It is a double-edged sword, but every year we cut the end off their tail. Not the, the hair, not the, oh, the actual tail. But we, we trim the end of the tail. Now, that results in it being less likely to get dirty, so less likely to get heavy, so it keeps clean. And you are right that if they're dirty, more flies, more mastitis and all the rest of it. The downside of trimming the tail, obviously, is that it's then less effective as a fly swat. So that it's some and some occasionally you'll find that they lose some of the use of their tail through a difficult carving or something like that so that sometimes that happens but in her case her tail works you can see her sort of wagging it but when she's next through the crush we'll give it a clean up trim it off nicely so it's lighter but she well, will you give her a hose down or no we just clean it off um, but usually there are certain cows that are just tend to be dirty just because they are. Now, I know it's going to rain harder because you know what's happened now, don't you? Well, they've all gone under the tree. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we'll call it a day, but thank you very much for um, explaining cows to us once again up on the bank at Lower Blakemere in October 09. Lovely scene, really. Looking over the farmyard, hedgerows just into Berry, trees turning. The man from Webbs at Witchbold, who is an expert on all things gardening, said that this is the perfect autumn because it's been so dry and so steady that the leaves will stay on the trees. So we will have a lovely autumn show of colour. He's dead right. If you missed last week's podcast, go and have a listen. Rachel Harris gets a wiggly look in in Muckus Deer Park. And if you'd like to download them all, go to wigglywigglers.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Otherwise, they're on iTunes, where you can download the latest 15, I believe. And if you want to go to the cinema, we've got a new video up about our worm cafe. So that's wigglywigglers.co.uk slash cinema. Next week, we'll be back on the Wiggly Sofa in Lower Blakemere in Herefordshire. Bye!